This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hey, this is Robbie. You're listening to the Offscript podcast. And if you enjoy this episode, don't forget to subscribe. The Big Interview with Offscript. Okay, today we're in conversation with Chris Fallows, the man who discovered Air Jaws. He is South African born. He is an expert on great white sharks among many other wildlife species and their hunting habits. He's amassed the largest database of predatory events involving great whites in False Bay. And he was the first member of the scientific community to observe great whites breaching out of the water, which is pretty bonkers. If you're the first person to study that, to research it, we're going to hear exactly how that changed Chris's life over the course of the next 40 minutes or so. But he's also authored 10 scientific papers on this particular behaviour and he sold over 25,000 copies of the book Great White and the Majesty of Sharks. He's worked with Sir David Attenborough on the Shallow Seas episode of Planet Earth, National Geographic, Discovery Channel. He's also co-hosted and photographed for the most successful Shark Week series ever, which is the Air Jaws franchise, where there are now a total of nine Air Jaws shows filmed over the past past 20 years it's an amazing amazing career that chris has had he's a lovely guy he's free dived with great whites he's kayaked with them he has paddle boarded with them um we're going to hear about all of this uh, actually i did show sonal the footage from planet earth a little earlier pretty extraordinary oh, stuff it's the kind of footage that gives you goosebumps it's all in slow motion so you're seeing every single twist and turn and muscle twitch of this great white yeah and just the most remarkable leap up out of the water This is Chris speaking on Air Jaws. Very few people knew the white shark was capable of such a dynamic hunting style, hurtling out of the water and high into the air to attack seals. About nine years later, in Ultimate Air Jaws, we added the element of super slow motion with the phantom camera. I mean, imagine being able to propel yourself out of the water and get clearance of a couple of metres when you're a creature that weighs 2,000 pounds. It's, it's inconceivable mm. strength and power. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is uh, there's no leverage. You're not pushing off anything. No. You're I mean, just... <laughs> Raj was pointing out, when you think about us getting out of a pool and we have to push ourselves up with our hands, you need so much strength. You need something to balance off of. Mm. It's amazing. Um, Chris told me he was lucky to have parents who exposed him to wildlife at a young age, and that's where his fascination in great white sharks began. My earliest memories are actually being chased by warthogs up a tree. <laughs> and uh, I developed a love of animals from those earliest of years, from being taken to game reserves and, and living close to them. And then when we moved to the Cape in, in uh, Cape Town area in, 90, in mid-90s, I'm sorry, mid-80s, that interest naturally turned towards the sea. And, you know, as a young boy, I was fascinated by great white sharks. There was a uh, a legendary great white shark in False Bay called the Submarine. And it was, you know, relatively not long after the Jaws era. So there were still people hunting them. And the, the press is always full of these six meter monstrous animals. And it's, you know, it's kind of like a living dinosaur on my shores. So there was a fascination with them. And uh, whilst I was still at school, I was 17, 16 or 17 years old, I started a a project with the local fishermen who at the time were killing large numbers of sharks. And instead of killing them, I, I convinced them to allow me to, to tag them. Sadly, they were killing them because the beachgoers were saying, well, if you release these sharks from your nets, they'll go out and eat people, which clearly they didn't. 
And anyhow, to cut a long story short, we tagged over 5,000 sharks and rays together and released these animals. And in, in, on a February day in 1991, we caught a small great white shark and I tagged the animal and I took the information to a group called the, the Great White Shark Research Institute. They were the only people working with great whites in South Africa at the time. And they offered me a, a volunteer position. And we worked at a, a beautiful location called Dyer Island near Khanspai, as well as a, another place called Strayspai. And I had an incredible introduction to these animals whilst working in those areas. So not long after Chris began working with the great white sharks, um, or researching them he wasn't working he wasn't a colleague of theirs Uh, around 1993 he made a remarkable discovery that would eventually spark global media interests and a famous documentary series on shark week we were working with a a production with the bbc for wildlife on one special narrated by david attenborough and in that particular show the other area that they were filming apart from where we were was an area called the farallon islands of san francisco and there was a chap there by the name of Scott Anderson who threw a surfboard off the rocks. And whilst he was winding it in, a big great white shark came flying out and did a half breach out the water with the surfboard. And that sowed in my mind the idea to put a seal-shaped decoy in the water and see what sort of response we could get from that. And as a young penniless boy, because I was a volunteer at that stage, I was still picking up shells on the beach and collecting fossilized teeth to, to buy my share of a... Uh, a, a very small 11 foot long rubber boat and I managed to convince um, three gullible friends to join me on a trip out to Seal Island in False Bay which was about two hours drive from from Dyer Island the, the shark- sharks were a lot bigger than the boat Robbie it's the only time I can ever say that oh, God. and uh, we headed out to Seal Island and um, I had a little yellow life jacket with us at the time roughly the size of a small seal and we put it out behind our our boat, and um, not 30 seconds after we deployed it, we just started moving forward. A young great white shark came exploding out the water, and it was incredible. I mean, here was a flying great white shark. You know, sharks are are sensational animals, and they attract the headlines wherever they are in the world. But flying great white sharks, you know, that took it to a whole new level of wow. cool. And so we pulled the decoy in. The shark had spat it out. I tied it on again and. T- Two of the three guys who were on board with me were terrified out of their minds. <laughs> other chap, other friend of mine, he said, okay, well, let's give it another go. So it was a two-all decision. I was steering the boat, so bugger them. We put the, <laughs> the decoy in again. And about uh, 20 minutes later, another shark, a, a proper great white, of around about 3.5 meters in length, so 12 foot or so, came flying out the water. And then it started circling our, our boat. But obviously, the, the first breach could have been, you know, a random act and a fluke. But the second one, clearly the penny had dropped that we had stumbled onto something truly amazing. Uh, how would you have felt, Chris, in that little rubber dinghy? I would have been, well, can I say it? I would have been bleeping myself. No doubt yeah. about it. Given the fact that don't swim as well, for yeah. me to say. Yeah, that would have been have, the least of your worries. Yeah. Not swimming would have been the least Lordy. of your worries. It is. Yeah, and I, I'll say it again, just for, for those of you, when it's safe to do so, do pop on to our Instagram and check out the picture. It is an astonishing picture. It really is. It really is. Uh, so once Chris had made this, I mean, it's crazy to think that, you know, he was he was kind of the first one to document this behaviour and actually really make uh, something of it and, and log it for the scientific community to ponder. It's fair to say it caused something of a media circus. 
this was the first time this behavior had ever been documented. So no people had seen lunging great whites, but flying great white sharks, it had never been seen before. So essentially, in the animal's 50 million year tenure on our planet, nobody had ever seen this incredible behavior. And this was, you know, at this tiny little island, not more than 20 minutes away from the heart of Cape Town, which is a city with a population of 4 million people. And we were faced with a bit of a predicament in that if we went and told everybody what we had seen, there would have been, you know, it would have been essentially a uh, a tourism gold rush who would free have boats out there and it would have taken away from any opportunity we had to work with these animals in a respectful way. So we kept it very quiet and we would go out there and we, we would fund it by taking friends and tourists that we knew we could say, please don't tell everybody, just keep it quiet for a little longer until we figure out how it works. And anyhow, we did this for about a year or a year and a half. And one of the chaps who came out took a video of it. And somehow it, it, it leaked out and it got back to National Geographic in the States. And the next thing we had them on the line and we had Peter Benchley, the author of Jaws, and David Dubelay was the most famous wildlife photographer at the time, as well as Rodney Fox, the most famous shark attack victim, all, all coming out to see this in one film crew. So we did that show in 99. And, you know, from that moment on, it, it, it went crazy from being two young guys who really had stumbled onto something amazing, we suddenly were, were having the, the phone ringing off the hook from the likes of National Geographic, Discovery, BBC, everybody wanting a part of it. He continued working with, researching with the sharks off South Africa's Cape Coast and building his reputation as a photographer. Then came a day in 2001, he would enjoy one of those rare days when a once-in-a-career moment would occur that would change his life. We were working with a, um, a small film crew at the time in 2001, and it hadn't been a particularly fruitful few days. And we were towing it, I must have been about the fourth or fifth day with absolutely nothing happening. And you cannot take your eye off that decoy for a second um, because a breach only lasts seven tenths of a second to a full second. And it was a beautiful morning, and we'd been towing for about an hour, hour and a half. And I, I, the one thing I never did was ever drop that camera. I always just kept looking. And the shark came exploding out the water. It was about a 1,000, 1,200-kilogram 1, great white, probably about 4.2, 4.5 meters long, and did this most incredible breach straight towards me, white belly, mouth open. And if you had said to me, you know, design the most perfect photograph showcasing the ability of this world-famous apex predator, that essentially would have been it. And it was in the days where I was still shooting on slides. So it wasn't like today where I could just look on the back of the camera and see whether I, I, I nailed the shot or not. But in that one split second that you have a breach, your mind cognitively you know, associates with what you had seen. And I knew it was spectacular, even though I, I couldn't actually check. So I took it to the lab in Cape Town that was developing the, the, the slide film at the time. And they said, Lord, look, you can only get it back on a Monday. And I said, please, whatever you do, I think I've got something really special here. So I spent a weekend thinking, you know, had I managed to capture it at all, would the, would the photographs be sharp? Uh, and all sorts of crazy things go through your mind. I walked into the lab on Monday and uh, everybody was clapping. And I thought, oh, fantastic. You know, I must have something either very different or maybe, you know, reasonably good. And I put a loop to it. Those were those magnifying glasses we used to use in those days. And I looked down and the first frame in the sequence was, it was spectacular, but it was completely soft. It was completely out of focus. 
And then I, I was almost traumatized. And then I moved across to the second one. And that's the photo that, you know, I, 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 I was so lucky to have as something that catapulted my career. But that photo was perfectly sharp. And um, yeah, I've missed many, many great opportunities since then. But fortunately, I, I got lucky on the one that counted. And that was back in the day of film. This was pre-digital cameras. So he had to have those sh- films developed. So you don't know. So he wouldn't have known if he had gotten it at all. Uh, of course. No, you've got to wait that kind of th- that weekend where, you know, back in those days, it would take a day yeah. or two to develop the shots. Oh, even better. In the lab. So when you see it and it's crisp, it's sharp, you've just nailed it perfectly. That would have been such a skill to take in those uh, film cameras back in the day. Oh, yeah. Uh, not now when you can just basically preset the camera and it's a point and shoot with with the digital technology that these, these great... I mean, I'm not saying that it's not, not a skilled job now because it, it undoubtedly is, but to, to get the right exposure, the right aperture and yeah. actually take that photo. And of course, not just that, but this is a, an event that lasts for about 0.6 of a second. So you've got that split time to get the perfect frame of that, that animal coming out of the water. You can actually check out our Instagram. It's on there. It's on um, Dubai1038FM uh, on Instagram. Or you can actually check out Chris's website, chrisfallows.com, to see many more photos just like that one as well. He says it's undoubtedly the most spectacular image he's ever taken, although he says he prefers an approach these days that, that he sort of likens to fine art in the natural world where the, the ecosystem and the surrounding geography is kind of in, incorporated mm. into the shots. So it's not like a main central character of kind the of. photograph but a yeah, composition that's exactly that um, i asked chris what impact that photo had on his career and his life great white sharks always garner attention no matter where they they occur in the world and you know make no no doubt about it they help sell newspapers and when people saw this photograph everybody wanted it on the front cover of their newspaper so it was it was on covers from Australia to New York to Los Angeles and pretty much all around the world. And, you know, there was a huge interest in learning more about the photograph and learning more about these flying great white sharks. And so not only were people contacting me to learn more about, you know, the photograph, but then people were wanting to come out and see it for themselves. And we had an ecotourism business by that stage called Apex Shark Expeditions and um, you know, people really want to do to come and experience seeing these incredible predators, and and so that business began to flourish, and it also gave me a platform to really speak to to the world about you know the pressures that these animals face and tell them a little bit more about what what really goes on in the mind of a great white shark. We always thought that they were mindless killing machines, but by that stage, I, I was free diving with them. I was kayaking with them i was doing all sorts of things that you know previously people would thought were crazy but by my exposure to these animals i knew they weren't out there trying to actively hunt me every time i got in the water and under the right conditions you know i I knew i could interact with them i also knew that you know just like a group of people in the room they had very strong personalities so you had some that were really engaging others that were shy, some that were a little bit goofy and strange, which was really a chance for me also to tell the world uh, the softer side of the great white shark because the hunting is what you see what you see there and what always gets re- represented in the press and through documentaries really represents probably 5% of what that animal's life's all about. You know, it, it can't be a sprinter its whole life. It has to sustain, sustain itself by conserving energy and when it's not hunting, it's just an animal that kind of glides through, this, through its inky, watery world, 
um, in a way that's truly beautiful. I once had a guest say to me that the great white shark doesn't swim through the water, but the water moves with the great white shark. Such is the imperceptible movement that these animals actually have. And it's so true. They, they just are so in control of their environment. Yeah. I mean, when you do see the drone footage of these sharks, the way they swim, mm. if you ever wanted to see perfection in nature, I mean, they are, I can't remember, what is it, 250 million years old, I think is the, the great whites have been around. Mm. And right. it is just they are the perfect example of evolution of, a, of an apex predator. Um, and they continue to fascinate us. The, the, there's still shark movies getting pumped out. You know, they're awful. The yeah. shark movies are all universally terrible, apart from Jaws and maybe one or two others. But they still get made. There's still a huge industry. There's still a fascination. And uh, there's a lot of new... We've, we've actually talked to a guy who, who takes the drones out and, and uh, films them from above, interacting with humans or being in the vicinity of humans and largely ignoring them. But then when an attack happens, it's so visceral. Yeah. And it's just so so shocking really to us that uh, it kind of transfixes us and it, it prompts a, a whole bunch of reactions from from humanity so chris is is keen to stress that these sharks are not killing machines it's probably the last creature on the planet that can catch kill bite us in half and consume us in in, in essentially a, a, a minute and i think you know that's something that we've become fixated by but the reality is that we have thousands and thousands of encounters with these animals that could potentially do this to us and nothing happens. You know, in South Africa, when we have a fatal shark attack, and, and ironically, we had one two, two or three days ago, which is the first in, in probably two years here in South Africa, and obviously it's making the headlines. But we have 24,000 murders a year in South Africa. And sharks on average kill one or less people, but we have the death sentence for the sharks here. So we have an organization called the Natal Sharks Board that kills between 11 and 60 great white sharks in its uh, beach protection nets here every year, and their drum line set for them. And if you think about it, it's, it's just completely crazy. 24,000 murders by humans, yet we invest massive sums of money to create a culling machine for an animal that's, you know, making a very rare mistake in its own environment in which we generally choose to go and recreate. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very warped perspective of, of, of things, certainly in South Africa. And like you say, you know, and I've seen some of those incredible drone videos of the sharks literally swimming under surface and, and, changing courses they go around bathers and you know i was lucky with the documentaries that i hosted with discovery channel to be given opportunities to do those things and um i used to stand up paddleboard with the great whites i used to kayak with them um i i went in all sorts of different craft from submarines to sleds being towed behind the boats and to walking along the bottom of the ocean with them and never once did a great white shark act aggressively towards me. And in most cases, we either had fish in the water or chum or whatever to attract them because we were, we were filming and working with them. And even in those heightened, um, overstimulated situations, the great whites never once acted aggressively towards me. So, you know, I, I really, really struggle with this whole concept that they're mindless killing machines. There's... 
It's quite a sad end to this story in many ways because from global fame and notoriety around 20 years ago, the plight of South Africa's great white shark population has become one of the sort of great tragedies really in, in this sort of age that we're going through where some of the sort of iconic, you know, hugely popular species of animals are, are suffering great declines in numbers. And we had the shark man himself, the man that dives with them, Mike Rutson, on the show last year, talking about how the numbers of sharks had dwindled to a tiny handful in mm. the area. And, and I asked Chris whether he'd observed the same decline uh, and whether the South African kind of tourism industry around great white sharks was still functioning. And he said, really, well, he explained that for 75% of a shark's life, it doesn't feed on the seals that, that, that appear in these documentaries, but on other shark species, two in, in particular. And um, the South African Board of Fisheries has actually started overfishing these species, the soup fin shark and the smooth hound shark, ironically sending it to Australia to sell fish and chips. And he said, you take away the prey, ultimately you lose the predator. Now, by 2013, Chris says there was a major decline in the number of sightings at places like Seal Island, Dyer Island. The Natal Sharks Board, he said, was still killing between 11 and 60 great whites a year. And then South Africa's great whites went from being the hunters to the hunted. Take a listen. Bear in mind, the population had already started to collapse. So the, the orcas that arrived, these two notorious orcas that arrived in around about 2017, arrived long after the major decline had started happening, but they also started targeting great whites. So just adding to the incredible amount of pressure that was on uh, this apex predator in, on, along our shores. So all of these things combined have had a devastating effect on the population. You know, And the, other, the upper limit of the population, another study said there were about a thousand animals, but even let's say at best case, there were a thousand animals. When you have... 11 to 60, and we'll take, 40, let's say, 40-odd were killed by the sharks board. Another 20 were killed as bycatch. Another 20 poached, and probably, you know, orcas probably killed another 20 or so. You're suddenly looking at three-digit number, you know, 100, 120, 140 animals wow. out of a population of 1,000. That population can never sustain itself. There were always, always very few adults, despite what you see in the press at that every shark attack is a five or six meter shark. The reality is those five and six meter sharks were probably less than 1% of the population that we used to see. They were super rare animals and false bait was very famous for the really big sharks. So we saw a disproportionately high, higher number of these massive animals. So yes, Michael was 100% right. The population right. took a, a huge, huge decline and, and knock and... Um, you know, he was one of the few that was putting up his hand and, and saying, this population's in huge trouble. And sadly, the scientists that work for our government, you know, didn't want to pay attention to that. And now in South Africa, the primary cause that they blame are the orcas, because you don't have to take responsibility for the orcas. It's a natural phenomenon. And uh, you no longer, you know, need to take ownership of the fact that it was actually incredibly poor management of our marine resources done on a completely unsustainable level. And then coupled with an archaic system like shark nets that are, are wiping out an animal that actually poses very little threats. That's a sadly familiar tale, isn't it? I mean, we, yeah. when we speak to these wildlife experts, pretty much consistent with pretty much any other 
story that that goes on, whether it's in some of the sort of uh, the national parks, whether it's in the African savanna with with lions and what have you. It's 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 a familiar tale. But Chris says he still operates his ecotourism business, Apex Sharks. He says great whites are a very rare sighting these days. They are seeing other shark species like bronze whalers and other other sharks that have sort of filled the void. But I did ask Chris if the situation could ever be recovered in terms of whether they'll come back. My gut feeling is, and this is based on the fact that our government is not putting any effort into to, to taking away things like the Natal Sharks Board, to stopping the demersal shark long lining, to cracking down on poaching, all the pressures are still there. So I don't see it changing until we address those issues. And, you know, in a country like South Africa that's so desperate to create jobs, here was the golden goose, it, the, the great white shark tourism industry had created more than a thousand jobs was turning over more than a billion rand so about 80 million dollars a year and was attracting upwards of dozens of the most famous film crews a year so it was ticking every box from social upliftment to a far better way to utilize our resource to unbelievably free exposure and uh yeah i just i still go to bed at night thinking, how can people not be seeing this in today's day and age? Here was a fantastic way of sustainably utilizing a resource in perpetuity. And, uh, you know, it was also a fantastic educational tool. So we have to keep our fingers crossed that the country comes around to maybe changing its uh, approach to conservation and, and hopefully the sharks can somehow recover in numbers. But as for Chris, he's got numerous collections of limited edition fine prints. He's actually shot many of, photographed many of uh, Africa's most famous land animals as well. Mm-hmm. And the funds that he receives from the sale of the artwork goes towards land purchases in South Africa for rewilding and rehabilitation. You can check out more at chrisfallows.com and he's also on Facebook and Instagram at Chris Fallows Photography. I did talk to him about elephants and lions. I'm going to be delivering that in a future edition of Offscript, but we say a massive thank you to Chris for spending and sharing his time with us to have a little chat about all things sharks on the show. The Offscript Podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Please do go ahead and click subscribe. You can also check out our other podcasts, Time Capsule or The Big Interview. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. 